You're listening to the Puck Authority Podcast. Your go-to source for all things hockey. Welcome to episode 34 of the Puck Authority Podcast. This is a very special episode as we near the holiday season. Tomorrow is Christmas and that means the start of the World Juniors. So in light of the World Juniors, I'm really pleased to be joined this evening by one of our scouts, Joseph Stanislaw, as well as our uh, Leafs slash World Juniors writer, and that's Josh Kim. So to the both of you, thank you so much for doing this, especially on Christmas Eve. Yeah, thank you, Justin, for having me. Thank you very much. Of course. So let's get right into it. Um, you know, this is a really exciting time of the year, and as the Christmas song goes, it is the best time of the year, and that it really <laughs> is. Um, so... You know, we, we've seen the last two uh, the last two days some exhibition games be played um, due to some double IHF changes. All teams only get one uh, who were scheduled in. So maybe we'll start with Josh. Josh, uh, you've seen Team Canada play. Uh, you saw the night before as well. So let's look at Team Canada's game first uh, that took place last night. What did you like? Well, the first thing that really jumped out at me is this team plays with a lot of speed. And, you know, heading into the tournament, that was, you know, <laughs> that was pretty well known by a lot of people, but just to see it live and in action against a, a good Russian team who has a lot of skill, that was really impressive. Uh, the line that impressed me the most was the Dylan Holloway, Alex Newhook, and Jacob Pelletier line. That line has gelled since the start of camp, since the rosters are finalized. They got a lot of, they had a, they assembled a lot of chemistry together and they play with a lot of speed. They play with a lot of energy and that's going to be a really big problem for opposing countries because that actually I might just go on a limb and say that might be the X factor for Canada because if you're going up against another team like the Americans or Russia who have a good top six it's about the bottom six and it's about your team depth that's going to really shine through in the moments like that and as it stands the Peltier Newhook Holloway line is the Canada's third line and if they jump on that would be a matchup nightmare for any opposition so that line really jumped out and uh, in my latest piece for the hockey writers, um, I broke down a couple of players that stood out to me particularly. I mean, getting starting with the obvious, Devon, Devin Levi was absolutely fantastic between the pipes. Um, kind of an unknown kid coming out of camp. He played in the NCAA cohort. Wasn't really seen too much publicly by anybody on the games that were live streamed or anything like that. Um, you know, kind of came in, kind of stole the show. I was really expecting Brochu to make it. Uh, that was a little bit of a shock for me, for sure. Um, but he's come in and, you know, credit where credit is due. He has really stepped up to the plate when it really matters. And he's making a strong case for Canada's starting job. Um, again, 23 saves played fantastic last night against the Russians and, you know, just the other household names like Quinton Byfield really impressed me. He kind of embraced his role on the fourth line, you know, driving, driving the offense and uh, creating energy on each and every shift. So he's going to be a big name to watch because he's one of the six returning from last year's team and he did a stellar job last year and unfortunately with the depth he's on the fourth line this year again but that's not really a big deal to him it doesn't seem like it's going to phase him in any way shape or form and then my sleeper pick for the best defenseman has got to go to Mississauga's Thomas Harley I watched him in the OHL when I worked for the Steelheads and he is a fantastic addition on the blue line right behind Bowen Byram and Jamie Drysdale I feel like those two really get much of the spot a lot of the spotlight on the blue line and you know, credit where credit is due. They definitely deserve it. But Thomas Harley right behind them, he can play. And he is he is a big mobile defenseman, and that's exactly what any NHL team needs. Dallas has a good prospect in Harley, and he showed exactly what he brings to the table against Russia last night. So a lot of, lot of important players to watch, but that new hook Holloway-Peltier line is, uh, is pretty electric to start. 
So yeah, like you mentioned, that line, um, they've been absolutely fantastic last night uh, in their game against Russia. And then you have to consider as well that uh, a line that really clicked during selection camp was uh, Philip Tomasino, Connor Zari, and Kirby Doc. And so that's where I'm going to go next before I ask Joe for his thoughts on last night's game, what he liked. And that would be that Kirby Doc, a uh, really substantial player in this, given that he's Team Ken's captain, uh, was taken out after a hit late in third period in which it looked like he might have broken his hand. Diagnosis came back this morning and it is a fracture. So he is out for sure for this tournament and the Chicago Blackhawks might be without him for about roughly four to six weeks. So um, certainly a loss there. So uh, in keeping that in mind, Joe, what did you like from Team Canada last night? Well, I actually, honestly, I actually didn't get to watch that, but I did watch the Czech-Slovak game. But I will tell you this, when you lose a guy like Dot, you're going to actually have to move up a kid like uh, my guy, Dawson Mercer, up a line. And Canada is pretty stacked, but I really think that you got a lot of the guys from last year's draft going forward. And I think they're pretty much well likely going to, on paper, they look like they're going to win gold but you still have to play all the games in order to win all the marbles. Absolutely. Um, so I think that's where we'll kind of uh, lead off uh, with the Team Canada game, especially where you mentioned Dawson Mercer. So let's get into that because Dawson Mercer, uh, certainly a special holiday season for him, waking up this morning, signing his three-year entry-level contract with New Jersey. So as our New Jersey Devils writer, uh, what do you like about that? And, you know, what does that mean for an athlete of uh, his stature, especially, you know, already being with the national team, making an impact, and now being able to kind of continue that uh going into next season after the end of the QMJHL season uh, with the Devils. All right. All right. So um, what this means for Devils fans going forward is that, you know, Tommy Fitzgerald got his guy and winning a trade, you know, a couple trades in the Arizona one and the Vancouver one, the Arizona one really paid dividends getting Mercer. I had him going 11th overall in my ranking, my final ranking before the draft started, but to me, he's a guy, he's a special specimen. Um, he can play center and wing. He plays more of that high danger hockey where he can score in that area, but he also has some speed. He has some agility. He's got the hands to really like go in in the tight spaces and score in that area. But he loves to win those puck battles. And the Devils over the years have been bullied along the boards. And you, and if you understand the Iron War, you got to be able to, you know, play along the flanks, go left by going to that person's right, win that side of the puck, and then you know get possession of it. And so a kid like him, when he gets that time and space, he's gonna make the winger around him better. Right, and in the QMJHL as it is, he's a very strong player, and uh, Canada is expecting him to be an impactful player. Andre Torini expressed during selection camp that he liked what he was seeing from the head coach. So, uh, or sorry, sorry, from Dawson Mercer, that is. So lots to be excited about there. Uh, so, you know, I think that this is a perfect fit for New Jersey as well. And I think that they're going to uh, reap the benefits of him almost immediately once he joins the Devils. Again, that being the beginning of next season after this uh, already unique NHL season as um, the agreement is in place as of today to uh, play, which we will end today's episode with. So let's bounce back now to the other World Juniors game. And Josh, I'll go back to you for this one. We saw Team US uh, take the ice the night prior so um what do you feel um you know 
I guess maybe went right for them. And if you want, you can also point out, uh, you know, the wrongdoings. So we're going to look at all angles of these teams and really kind of get comfortable with what we're set to see when the tournament gets going starting tomorrow. Yeah, I didn't catch the uh, full game, but I did catch the majority of it. And, and I, you know, got a pretty good idea of what of what was uh, what was transpiring in that game. First things first, um, the Americans' top six is absolutely loaded. Like, you look at Canada's roster and you say, yeah, there's a lot of talent there, but the Americans arguably have, you know, a top six that's almost just, like, that's just as good. Um, Trevor Zegers, he he is a special kid. Um, he has got elite vision already, and he is, he's trying things that, you know, nobody really thinks of, even at his age. And he is, like... S- splitting the seams and finding passing lanes where where pretty much they don't exist so that really caught my eye first and he did that in last year's tournament as well so i wasn't too too surprised by it but i was still very impressed by his passing ability also cole caulfield um also another really talented scorer he scored a couple beautiful goals in last in uh, the game against finland he he was again fantastic and you know a lot of people kind of harp on those on those guys that are a little undersized i know nick robertson got a bit of a the brunt of that as well but if you can put in the net at the NHL level, I think, you know, anyone would tell you that you're you're uh, cut out for a good career. And he has certainly proven that he can score at every single level. And he's going to be a player to watch for sure for the Americans because I feel like a lot of the offensive responsibility is going to fall onto him only because I'm not terribly confident in the bottom six for the Americans. I know I talked about, I talked about this on Twitter a lot, and I say that Canada definitely has the upper hand in overall roster structure and balance when it comes to uh, when it comes to matching up against the Americans. And a lot of people disagree with me on that. And I, I don't really know why, because aside from Zegris, Alex Turcotte, Cole Caulfield, Arthur Kaliev, who's another elite goal scoring talent, everyone else is kind of just a good average player. And that is not going to cut it in a tournament where you're going up against a team like Team Canada, not to be biased or anything, but I've spent a lot of time watching film and a lot of time studying the players on the Canadian roster. And, just watching the matchup against, you know, guys from the U.S. National Development Program, I don't think, I don't, I know it's going to be a good game to watch, and it's going to be a close matchup for sure, as it always is. It's always entertaining. But as, from a talent standpoint, I think Canada has a clear upper hand here. And a lot of people, I feel like, are a lot of a little lost when it comes to that idea, especially when it comes to um, players on the defensive side of things, because that is where the most glaring issue, or it's not even an issue, but the most glaring, you know, thing that pops out off off a page to me is the Americans defense because aside from Jake Sanderson aside from Cam York both first round picks both really good prospects the Americans don't really have any of that high-end talent well you look at the Canadian side or even the Finnish side and they have returning players and they have high-end great ace talent aside from their top pairing so just to pull from the example for Canada Thomas Harley is a top pairing defenseman on on any junior team Braden Schneider arguably as well so when you have those guys playing middle bottom pairing you know, that's a matchup nightmare for the other team. So I'm not saying the Americans are, are you know, shorthanded or anything. They just don't have the high-end caliber of talent that compared to the Canadians. But against a team like Finland, who, you know, again, suffered from COVID-19. Uh, the Americans also suffered from COVID-19, losing a couple of players. But, you know, there is a reason why the game was so close. Those teams are really evenly matched. But you match up Canada against the Americans right now, I'm giving the upper hand to Canada. And I'm fairly confident in saying that only because, you know, looking at past games, looking at video and looking on paper, you know, Canada really has the upper upper hand in pretty much every category. Well said. So let's go off of the struggles from the, uh, the American team. And Joe, I'll give this to you. We saw the, uh, certainly the benefits including Cole Caulfield last night, but like Josh mentioned, mentioned his 
assessment of the you know so-called average players for the rest of the roster after uh you know a few couple uh of big bigger names that they're really that's not gonna be enough to push them through uh all the way into the end of this tournament when you look at uh, the comparison of a team like Team Canada. So, um, you know, give me your evaluation of this roster, then we'll get into the captaincy as soon as we're done that. So one of the things that I looked at last night was that they did start out a little slow offensively to Finland. They let up a goal, but they did come back and they capitalized twice on the five on three, which to me means a lot of positives. Now, most of it was Cole Caulfield, but you also have uh, mentioned earlier Trevor Zegers. Like, he's the one guy that if I had to redraft him, I'd probably have him in the top three. Now, given the way he creates time and space and different angles for drop back passes or a heads up move, I mean, you got to think of Matthew Beniers uh, as a kid coming out of the US and TDP. He, when I looked up uh, at Beniers, He's a double underager coming into being an 18-year-old now. And what does this mean? Um, he may not be the most flashy of, you know, forwards. But what I noticed versus Finland is that uh, Cardi was trying to play the puck in the back of his own net and almost cost him a point because Beniers came out of almost his – own flank and almost stripped him of the puck and could have easily scored on him. So keep an eye on Beniers. He's kind of like a high energy Pavel Datsyuk with, you know, sulky like ability. And if there's something that is in the American's pocket that can play defense on offense, um, don't be, don't be thinking more than twice because they have guys that can play defense keeping you out of their own zone so don't throw usa off the map just yet but you know every team has to play every single game like sure i may be negative about slovakia but they could easily steal a game from germany so let me put it that way yeah and i'm not i'm not writing off the americans whatsoever they're still really talented and again their chances of escaping their group you know they have sweden they have russia to compete with but they have got a pretty good chance to escape that group and go on to the medal round or, you know, qualify for the medal round. So, you know, just playing off of that a little bit, they are definitely a talented team. Their, their forward core of those top four guys are, are is really solid. Like, that's a really, really good, really elite um, goal-scoring capable. Like, you know, there's going to be goals galore with that team. Um, just my question is whether they'll be able to tie it all together. I forgot to mention, Spencer Knight is an outstanding goaltending choice. Um, fantastic. Mm -hmm. Might be the best goalie in the tournament. Um, you know, this is the one year where I don't think Canada has, like, you know, the elite of the elite for goals, uh, goaltending, you know, you also have Askarov, um, another elite choice. So, you know, there's a couple names out there to compete with, but Spencer Knight deserves credit and he could definitely steal a couple games for the Americans for sure. So I'm not writing them off at all. It, they are in a harder group and I have to give credit to them. They're going to have to compete with those powerhouse countries as you, as we mentioned in the, uh, in the intro, but, uh, it, it'll be interesting to see how they tie, tie their whole roster together because they still need to gel, you know, you know, the top six core with the bottom six core and make sure it's one fluid system, you know, when they're hitting the ice every single night. And uh, yeah, throughout the games, who knows? There could be, there are, there are all every, each and every year, there's always a handful of upsets. So we're going to see how this turns out. 
Absolutely. So I'm, I'm going to bounce right off of that. Uh, when you talk about the goaltender being Spencer Knight, uh, we do know that uh, Team USA was not given permission to have Drew Camesso at camp, and he was one of many losses. That was due to COVID-19 concern, whereas Team US also let go of a couple of players, uh, you know, most namely being Thomas Bordalo and Johnny Beecher. Um, and those were obviously hard hits. Beecher later got a test uh, saying that he, in fact, did not have COVID. That was a false negative. And Thomas Bordalo, I believe, was just let go as he was either A, unfit to play, or B, was not what uh, Coach Lehman was looking for. So I'm actually going to pitch you an OHL question. So I'll give this one to Joe. Joe, how much does, do, um, you know, concerns like that uh, factor, in, especially given the roster that the U.S. already has? And when you look at the, you know, the, um, so-called average um, player label that's given to a lot of these players um, after some players like, for example, Jake Sanderson, Cole Caulfield, you know, what do those losses mean to uh, a team like this this year? First off, Jake Sanderson, great skater. I don't think he's a top five pick, but I do think he's a top 10 pick potential. But anyways, he's a physical player, smart. He's the kind of guy that can play like a Ken Danico He's going to keep you out of, you know, the goalie's crease. He's going to contribute offensively. But losing a guy like that, you know, makes your other guys that you have on defense want to step up their game. And remember, this is the highest level of hockey that you're going to get to play in, in your under-20-year-old life. Plus, if this is your draft year, this is your time to step up in front of people like you and Josh and I to prove that, on our boards and our assessments, if you can step up in these times when your, your team surely need you, this is going to be good for your draft stock. But the other guys that you mentioned, you know, it, it's time for the other guys to step in. And remember, it's not the name on the back. It's a, it's a name on the front, as uh, Coach Herb Brooks once said. Well said. So uh, with that, Josh, uh, we look at some of the replacements for some of these names that uh, are not participating for Team USA for one reason or the other. And one of those is Hunter Skinner, someone from the OHL's London Knights. I don't know what your familiarity uh, is with such players like that, but uh, can you give me kind of an assessment of, you know, where you think uh, such a player fits in again, as this roster continues to uh, shape itself out. And again, COVID-19 being the obvious uh, elephant in the room. Yeah, of course. Um, not too, too familiar with, uh, you know, the depths of the junior leagues and stuff. I do follow the OHL pretty closely, but not, you know, as close as others. But I will tell you that, um, you know, whoever the Americans really pick up, Hunter Skinner is obviously an example here. Decent decent numbers in, in junior, of, you know, half a point per game. You know, it, it that's kind of my concern only because, like, you know, with COVID-19 and everything, teams are kind of scrambling a little bit at the last minute here, and it really is kind of showing – you know, the whole unpredictability of the whole pandemic. And, you know, best case scenario, I don't think the Americans go with someone who's a half a point per game in junior, considering there's players that are at a two point two points per game on other teams that, you know, really aren't, aren't, uh, aren't that much better than the U.S. or arguably worse than the Americans are. So coming from thinking about it from, you know, an overtly negative standpoint, it's definitely something that the Americans are going to have to, you know, deal with. Every team is going to have to deal with that. But I think it's affecting the Americans a lot more only because they rely so heavily on their, on their forward core, because you think about, you know, the well-roundedness and the other, the other team that I think about is that, that has the same parallel as team Sweden, because behind Lucas Raymond, Alexander Holtz, there's really, 
a bit of a talent drop off there. And I'm not going to go as far as saying there's a talent drop off on, on the Americans, but I will say to round out your bottom six with a guy that's at half a point per game, that's very average numbers for junior and usually, you know, doesn't jump off the score sheet at all or anything like that. So to go with someone like that in unpredictability in an unpredictable situation, like the one we are in now, no, no blame game there at all, but really how is that going to impact them in, in their long-term, you know, tournament when it comes to their tournament success who knows because you know as this tournament has shown uh, the perfect example of this was last year the bottom six of, uh, of of a forward core is definitely a lot more used than people think and i think a lot of people get distracted with the household names that are that comprise the top six or are on the top pairing or you know the starting goalie between the pipes what they don't focus on so much are the are the potential unsung heroes from the bottom six and and you know the last defensive pairing or the backup goalie or anything like that and you know a roster like every country's roster needs to be analyzed deeply because there are always like joe said earlier diamonds in the rough everywhere you look and last year was a perfect example of this akil thomas stepped up 2018 was tyler steenberg and you know it's those guys that you know rarely get any media coverage or any attention whatsoever heading into the tournament that often end up stepping up so will the americans have a guy like that it, it definitely increases the chances now because I think a lot of players will be thrown into roles that they might not be totally familiar with Hunter Skinner being one of them, because, you know, he might get some ice time late in the game and it's a close game. So who really knows it's, it's, it's anyone's, it's anyone's guess at this point. So thinking how the Americans like managed to pivot and kind of take in players that they wouldn't normally take is an interesting uh, proposition for sure. And I, and yet again, and yet again, only time will tell to see how it pays off and, um, um, I really have confidence that players will rise to the occasion on the world's biggest junior hockey stage. And, and should that happen for the Americans, they'll be, they'll be set for the medal round. They'll absolutely be set. They named their captain uh, group this afternoon. It was Cam York. And then one of the alternates was Cole Caulfield. And while I can't remember uh, who, who the other one was off the top of my head again, we see that, you know, there are some strong players and some, there are some assets to this team, but again, uh, we see how COVID-19 and the whole, you know, uh, restructuring continues to hit them and it's not just them but it's every team um, and you know the tournament starts tomorrow and the U.S. is one of those teams playing tomorrow so uh, again time will tell but um, you know we're gonna have to see how this plays out so we've now touched on Canada we've touched on the U.S. we've touched a little bit on Sweden so I'm gonna throw this one to Joe Joe let's take a look a look at team Finland a little more uh, some standout names there include Anton Lindell and then Brad Lambert who uh, many were happy to see taking part uh, for Team Finland this year. So um, can you give me a little bit of an, an evaluation of, you know, what you're seeing from this team that might be able to propel them far into the tournament? What I think it would propel Finland into uh, the further rounds than, let's say, Sweden would be their stability and goaltending. I, like I mentioned uh, Peroinen earlier, I really like his technical uh sound ability he's always square to the puck no matter the situation whether there's traffic or it's just the shooter in front of him he is all sights and sounds dead on cued in laser focused no bs whatsoever one of the things is when he's under pressure he's hard to rattle and if he can just you know play the puck with his stick behind the net pretty well if he can you know knock away a puck you know he can make it better for his team and Ronnie Hirvonen actually had a goal or a point yesterday versus the USA and Atu Ratu um, looked rather well on the assist 
And I think, you know, these young guys uh, for Finland actually are looking pretty well sound given the fact that they went up against a more uh, well experienced U.S. team that come back from 2019. So really, um, to me, it says a lot about Finland's depth. Absolutely. And so with that, we're just going to keep moving across uh, the European board of this tournament. So I'm actually going to uh, pitch this one to you as well. Then I'll go to Josh with this with some familiar players on the roster. And so this is the Czech Republic, uh, one who's also uh, played in this pre-tournament round. Again, there were some that didn't. So uh, following this, uh, we're just going to break down, um, you know, what's happened today with those other teams. Um, but let's talk about the Czech Republic a little bit. They've got Jerome Pitlick and Martin Kromiak, some uh, familiar OHL names. So, um, you know, I guess, first off, um, I see them as a team that really could have a chance, especially when you look at uh, their offensive capabilities. That stands out as something that I don't expect them to struggle with. But uh, give me your assessment of uh, where you think they place in this tournament and why. Well, uh, whenever I think about the checks, I have to think about my own devil uh, and Patrick Eliash, who is the assistant coach. And he's kind of like, you know, very passionate about the way he's assembled this team as an assistant and looking at Pitlick yesterday, um, even before, you know, uh, Czechia sets up on, let's say a power play or just even a five on five Pitlick is right there on top of the goalie crease. And this is where a lot of the uh, dirty goals in the NHL are scored where they come from these high danger chances. And, I don't know if Simon Kubitschek is uh, with uh, the Czechs concerning with COVID, but um, the way that they played yesterday, they contributed as a whole and they just made Slovakia pay for not clearing the crease. And they were just playing all out aggressive yesterday. And it goes to show you that the Czech uh, coaching staff really is putting a lot of detail and emphasis on the aggressive, more like two to one style format that they have, you know, in the offensive zone. So that kind of forecheck that they play hard against the walls and not getting pushed around by the Slovaks yesterday goes to show me that they're very serious um, playing in their pool. Josh, your thoughts on Martin Kromiak, uh, one of the sensation uh, sensation kids, I should say, with the Kingston Frontenacs, um, and how would he plays into uh, what the uh, Czech Republic might be able to do in this tournament? Yeah, totally. Uh, Martin Kromiak, stellar OHL player, over a point per game with Kingston in 2019-20. You know, the thing about the Czechs that I've realized is that, you know, with those smaller countries and those smaller hockey markets, they really lack the big household names. Here they have a couple. Kromiak is one of them. Jan Misak, the other. Um you know they do have they do have a couple uh sorry joe you were saying that you wanted to add one name there meshack the s has a in it gotcha thank you uh yeah him and martin kromiak even pavel novak to a certain extent are are the names that that you know really stand out for the checks the problem here is that um in a similar position where i think the germans were a couple years ago they don't have the talent necessary to get them over the hump so you know as much as meshack and and Chromiak are going to provide some stellar depth and like, you know, they're going to produce points and they're going to be heavily relied upon in almost every situation that is imaginable. 
they probably don't have the talent or the depth level to get over the hump. And you know what? It's kind of unfortunate for the Czechs because they have, you know, they're starting to get those household names into their, into their lineups and, and whatnot. But um, from a talent standpoint, it uh, pales in comparison to the, to the other nations out there. Absolutely. And it's another team that we saw affected by just that was team Austria who seemed to be relying on uh, their, perhaps their only household name being Marco Rossi a whole lot. So uh, Joe, I'm going to give this one to you to start with Austria. Um, You know, that kind of seems to be a problem to me that everyone literally on every play seemed to be turning to have Rossi contribute uh, in some manner uh, with regards to offensive production. And that's not a stable situation. So um you know, I don't see them going very far, and I don't think that that's going to be uh, something that's going to fly, especially in a top tournament like this, where you all have to be on your game rather than kind of relying on one kid who's not even the captain. So um, give me your uh, thoughts on this, um, you know, problematic situation. One of my thoughts about the Austrians yesterday when they were playing against the Swiss is that, you know, they did have a lot of high danger chances. They did win some board battles against the Swiss, but the Swiss were able to edge them out. And they had guys like uh, like Jobin and Hofer who scored when the Austrians were a little bit out of place on the odd man rushes. And it goes to show you that Austria has come a long way as a country to develop hockey talent. But Marco Rossi yesterday made no mistake about getting – the pace of the game going in the right direction, but I still need to see more progress from them um, going forward into the games. But I see that there's a lot of youth, which leads to inexperience. But as a whole, next year, I would expect a little bit higher in their development as a team and a country. Absolutely. I think that's more than fair to say, because again, we saw how that kind of translated on the ice yesterday. Look, Austria is a country that continues to grow, but they're just not, you know, where they need to be, uh, at least this year in a tournament of the stature. So Josh, uh, Marco Rossi, an impactful player with the Ottawa 67s and now a draft pick as well of the Minnesota Wild. So, you know, how do you think that this, um, and I'll ask you this as well, how do you think that this is going to translate for them going to determine how far do you think this gets them? Because we're seeing how, um, you know, when your players are out of place, when the when you know the power is being relied on upon one player and one player only, it's it's not going to put you in the right situation where you're able to uh, throw yourself as far into the tournament as perhaps Austria would like. Yeah, well, you said it right there. Um, it's no secret that Marco Rossi is is the only household name on that team, and it's not even close. So, and that's no disrespect to Austria. Again, another smaller market that hasn't experienced the the necessary hockey growth to actually be competitive with the other major countries. And that's that's not, you know, really their fault either because, you know, smaller countries, smaller hockey markets, that's kind of just the way it works. Um, but from a talent standpoint, obviously Marco Rossi is going to be heavily relied upon in any situation. And, you know, it probably won't get them very far because in an elite tournament like this, relying on one player when the rest, when all of your opponents have have, you know, a plethora of names they can just throw out on the ice at any given moment won't do won't uh bring that much um fortune to a team like austria unfortunately but you know like joe said who knows further down the road they could they could get a spike in hockey players like germany has now and they're currently in i mean i think they're past their growth stage but i i don't think they're like you know at the peak just yet but they've definitely like experienced a, a healthy dose of uh of talent 
um, augmented into their system. And, you know, I'm not going to say that's going to be the same for all those other smaller nations, but at least it's going to get better. Like Marco Rossi is, is a pretty big step forward for a country that has never really had any, any high end talent out of that country. So he looks promising and, you know, that that's something to celebrate and that's something to, to focus on really in this tournament is to see how he handles the, the workload that he's going to be given because, you know, some players crack under pressure. Some players don't really do well in, when they're thrown into, into uh, scenarios where, where it's only, it's them and only them, and they take center stage. So we'll see how that that plays out. As for his development, I don't really think this is a good idea, only because I you know I I can go as far as saying Austria is not putting Marco Rossi in a position to succeed right now because it's not it's not from a standpoint where you know they don't really have a choice, but. With that being said, to drag a kid with that high-end talent and throw him in a position where it's literally him and it's nobody else, I don't know what that's going to do to a player mentally. And I really looked into that over the past couple of months, what players go through behind the scenes. And that is like that is something that is a lot, it's a lot harder to handle than a lot of people think. And that's just definitely going to be a, a, a point of interest moving forward as the tournament progresses. And that might even force him to crack under the pressure. And um, while you talk about the mental side of the game, which is something that uh, you're actually focused on a lot on your own podcast, uh, Get in the Game, and then um, as well, we have to look at the fact that in the World Juniors, there are mental performance coaches there this year, just given the extenuating circumstances of COVID-19 to kind of just make sure these players are able to mentally handle this all the way through um, and knowing that a lot of this comes from within this year given that the external um, you know reaction of the fans isn't going to be there so um, certainly a lot, to throw, a lot to throw off there but um, another team that you can kind of compare to Austria to was Germany and so that was the next team I was going to go to so that being said let's take a look at how Germany um, kind of is affected in this tournament so they were affected uh, back during selection camp uh, back home and not as badly as Sweden, but still, nonetheless, they were affected. One of the players who is not joining them is Lucas Reichel. However, they do have Tim Stutzel. But at the same time, is that enough to push them um, at least substantially into this tournament? And Joe, I'll go to you first. Well, let me put it this way. If there is a low bar, it's Austria. I believe they would go a step or two above Austria's. So in that realm of things... I think they can do better than Slovakia, honestly. But do they have the goaltending to go up against a Slovakia and steal a game? Maybe, but maybe Samuel Hlovai actually steals a game and keeps a team like Germany below where they really want to be. But Germany actually has, let's see, they have a bunch of 21s. And just looking at all the players that they have, on paper that I looked down, yeah, they're a bunch of 21 players. And they're going to, if they come back next year and they prove to be a little bit better and they have some other names to build around, then I can see them moving a little bit past like a round robin into like the first round, like a semifinal. But other than that, I really don't think they're going to go too far. And I happen to agree with you there. I do think that they're going to be maybe a step over Austria, if not two. Um, they're kind of in the same boat where Tim Stutzel becomes the only, you know, household name per se. And again, that that can put him into a rough situation. He was just drafted by Ottawa and he's just trying to get his feet under him and get on to the next step of North American hockey. So um, to put him 
you know, in such a challenge on international ice uh, before uh, he makes the next step. It's just, it's not going to work. And so, uh, again, I happen to agree with you. Josh, your thoughts on uh, Tim Stutzel and um, Team Germany and where, the, where they might end up? Because, again, um, kind of a low bar when you look at, um, you know, the the structure that there's no there's nowhere to build around on a team like that uh much like team austria yeah you you just said it perfectly um you know tim stews is kind of in the same situation that marco rossi is finding himself this is definitely not germany's year um they're not i don't see them being as competitive as as previous years one thing i will point out on a player to focus on is jj paterka he was an early second rounder to buffalo this past draft he has a lot of upside and i really like his game because him fortunately lucas reichel affected by COVID-19 they really played well together at last year's world juniors and now him being projected with he was projected to be a late first round early second round pick so he went right around where he was projected to go he is a guy that I would I would really like to focus on throughout this entire tournament because aside from Stutzla he is a he is a guy that has a lot of a lot of potential upside and if he takes a big step forward in this tournament that'll that'll just make Sabres fans and Sabres management really happy and that could be the next you know I'm not going to say that go as far as saying the next great German hockey talent, but I will say he would be, if he takes a big step forward in this tournament and goes on to whatever developmental league and has a great season, that is a really, that is a really important factor to consider when he, when he transitions to the North American game, he's still only 18 unsigned by the Sabres. That's a good second round pickup. And I really like his style of play, his, his quickness and agility on and on the ice and with the puck. Um, I did a, uh, a little looking because I was looking at who the Leafs might select in the second round. And there was no way he was going to fall to them, but I was looking at his, his style of play and how he, he did in last year's world juniors and he did really well. So, you know, aside from Sutha, a lot of people, again, get hooked on, <laughs> get hooked on those uh, household names. And, and, you know, there are, there are a few diamonds in the rough out there and, and Paterka is definitely one of them. He, he went pretty high in the draft like early second round is very impressive a lot of a lot of talented players have been taken around where he was taken at and you know if if Stutzel needs help he actually has one now so that's another big important factor to consider when you think about how where Germany's going to fall in terms of tournament standing so I think they're definitely going to be above Austria because they definitely have you know an increased level of star power and Paterka is definitely part of that whole that whole core and that whole next wave of German hockey for sure. I will back you in saying that Paterka is definitely a name I'm going to be keeping an eye on myself. So not to say that there is no structure because for Germany, it's just kind of starting and Paterka is that, you know, diamond the rough kind of player to, to see that really start with. So um, again, I'm interested to see, and maybe Germany does a little better than we expect. I mean, again, this is a tournament of really at this point, especially with uh, COVID-19 implications of it, this is anyone's game and it's really starting to show. So uh, that being said, let's move into uh, the two other teams uh, taking part in this tournament. I think we're going to start with uh, the Slovakian team as Joe has now uh, referenced a couple of times already. So Joe, I'm not so familiar with this team. So I'm just going to let you take the floor uh, with your uh, initial thoughts on you know what they bring to Edmonton well let me just be blunt well Samuel Hovai is probably their just number one goaltender going forward but other than that like their defensive structure is not there whether it's defensemen or forwards trying to play defense on a five on five or uh, penalty kill they're too soft for me I mean they do have a little bit of offensive power I mean, going against an Austria or a Germany, yes. But still, 
I don't like the structure that they have, and they got destroyed really bad by the checks. And I just I'm not sold with what they have um, overall. And I think especially with what um, they're given through COVID-19, it's they're going to be between Austria and Germany uh, with the way they're structured. I just don't think they're going to go too far. So the one thing I'll say to that end is I did miss last night's game, but after it ended, I checked in on Twitter and I did see that they did get destroyed and melt. Look, there's no excuse for that. There just isn't at this point. You come to Edmonton, you have a couple of days to practice after quarantine. There's no excuse why your team isn't ready to go. And, you know, you lose 4-1 or 4-2, sure. 4 nothing, no, not acceptable. So, um, you know, Five I'm not, sorry? 5 nothing. Five nothing, yeah. So no excuse for that. If you're not going to show up, why you know, why are you in Edmonton? If look, selection camp is meant to give you some preparation time because they, you know, teams know on an ordinary year that you come in, you don't really have many practice days. You know, usually the tournament gets going within a day or two of your arrival. So as is, if you're not comfortable then there's a huge issue there. So Josh, I'll give you uh, the floor for the Slovaks after seeing um, how, you know, how much they got beat by last night. Yeah. Same with you. I didn't get actually a chance to watch that game. I was, I was hovering over Twitter while I was writing the recap from the Canadian game, but um, to your point, you kind of said it, you kind of hit the nail right on the head. There's really no excuse for that. And like Joe said, the structure was absolutely gone. Um, Steven Ellis from the uh, hockey news was tweeting about the game. And I noticed that he said, that a lot of their mistakes were simply inexcusable. I think they took a lot of penalties. Um, their defensive structure was absolutely not there. Their puck handling skills were absolutely gone. And, you know, as, as a junior team coming in and facing a Czech Republic team that, you know, has some talent, but is overall not like nearly the most talented team in the bubble right now. And to lose that badly to a team that you should be a lot closer to in terms of talent level is absolutely inexcusable. And, you know, like you said, they came into the bubble Every team had a chance to practice and yeah, COVID-19 is unpredictable, but every team at the end of the day had an assembled roster and they had the opportunity to practice and get their legs under them and get going ahead of the tournament starting tomorrow. And, you know, to see a performance like that is really concerning. And if I'm the Slovakian coaching staff, I'm definitely not pleased with how my team showed out because, you know, reality is as a smaller country, you really don't have a chance against those uh, against the uh, against the favorites in the tournament, but to to lose that badly to a team where you know you're kind of neck and neck with when it comes to talent level, and you know you can really steal a game at any moment, and yeah, pre-tourney really doesn't mean anything. But that that's like a big red red flag ahead of the tournament starting on over the weekend. And we know that you know again this year it's anyone's game. Just again, given the circumstances, more so than the rosters themselves. Ger- Germany got back ten players today, uh, coming out of quarantine from their hotel in Edmonton. And so when you look at you know the the fact that they actually got to skate today, it wasn't just okay they're free. They actually got to skate as that team, uh, which is now fourteen skaters, I believe, as uh, what Mark Masters from TSN referenced. Um, is that enough to you know even so-called lift them above a, a team that just wasn't ready such as that and josh i'll let you continue on with this one first yeah like like you said the unpredictability with this is very intriguing that's i think going to play a big role into how teams you know gel together as as an actual team moving forward you know um 
perfect example of this last year was when Canada was missing Barrett Hayden and he came back and then they suddenly found new life already. And, and, you know, it, it's, it's things like that, that, that really make an impact on, on a team's mentality. Like I keep referencing uh, throughout this episode and, you know, that has a, a chance to be a really big turning point for a lot of teams. And a lot of people I feel like don't realize that to a certain extent, because they're so laser focused on, you know, who's going to play here and who's, who's going to do well and who's, who's going to win. So, having reinforcements come back at unexpected times can really be the turning point for a couple teams. And I think, you know, that's going to provide an extra, you know, level of excitement to this, this tournament in particular, because, because it's so unpredictable and, you know, the world juniors are often a quite unique tournament. It's really anyone's game. And, and to have this additional level of complexity almost makes it seem, you know, that much more intriguing and the storylines and the headlines are going to be that much better when the dust settles. So, you know, to, to your point, it's, it's, it's a nice feeling. Like it's, it's a nice to see players getting back into action and, and teams getting back to full health. Um, and yeah, that'll definitely impact the tournament moving forward. I cannot, I literally can't wait to see, you know, what unfolds because the Germans take on Canada and can in Canada's open on Saturday. So that's, that's going to be an intriguing matchup. And I'm not going to go as far in saying that Canada is going to destroy Germany or anything like that, because really no one can really say anything until, until the game's over. And I know that sounds as cliche as that is with a tournament as unpredictable as this, like there's really no other way to describe it. Yeah, I I can't agree with you more. So Joe, I'll give you the floor on this too, because again, we've spoken about Germany and their star power isn't, you know, over the board, but um, the fact that they're getting reinforcements back at such an important time and the fact they were able to not only that, but get an escape today, I think was really important. I believe they had about an hour and a half uh, on the practice rink at Rogers Place. So, you know, how does that speak volumes about what they might just be able to achieve, especially when you're looking at a team that, sure, they're not so strong, but they're, they're definitely stronger than a team like Slovakia, who, again, there's just no excuse for a 5 nothing loss. Well, first off, I mean, Germany's coming off a banner year in their draft, lot, talking about Lucas Reichel, JJ Paterka, Tim Stusler, and of course, you know, having they could have easily had more cider had he not just stayed with the Deutsche Elite League. Um, but really, this what this means is if you know if this is going to be Austria as the lowest tier in the bar, and you're going to have Slovakia, and you're going to have maybe a chance of Germany's reinforcements maybe ups their playing stock a little bit more, and. If I can see something in the next day or two showing me that they are here to be competitive and maybe win a few games, I am happy for the future of German hockey going forward. Plus, being a draft year, this also helps some players' cases uh, in moving up from, let's say, a seventh round to being a sixth round or maybe early fifth round uh, probability. And this is why you got to like teams usually have scouts at the games. It's because they're looking for these players that you may not get in the earlier rounds, but you can get a lot of value. So really I think Germany is coming here to not mess around versus what Slovakia did. I would happen to agree with you. And for that reason, I will give them the edge over Austria to bump up two pegs rather than just one after seeing that um, disastrous performance um, last night. So with that said, let's move forward to the one other team we haven't yet touched on, and that would be Team Switzerland. So um, that was a team as well that I'm not terribly familiar with. And so, um, Joseph, I'll, get, I'll let you continue on and kind of give me your initial thoughts. Well, Switzerland 
is a team that has gone from developing into being out of one tier to building a structure to having a structure. And their structure, when they had Nico Heischer, when they played my country, the USA, a few years ago, was be persistent on the puck and create pressure down low and all over the ice. Be pests along the whole game and just not give up. And that's what they did yesterday versus Austria. They proved to Austria that, hey, we're the real Alpine country program that we're going to kick you around and we're not afraid to take the puck with authority and move it up the ice and score goals and create chances and make your life a living hell. Having seen that game, I will say they made it known that they went in, they went into that game with confidence and when you go into a game with confidence, whether this is the world juniors, the NHL, whatever stage you're on, if you go into a game with confidence, you know, you're going to have a good game because you know what you, you know what you're capable of, you know, you can kick around a team, you know, who those players are to look out for because these coaches do videotape, especially with the world juniors, where you're literally being tossed in, into a tournament within 48 hours of your arrival and say, all right, go, you know, go do it, go be your best. And let's see what, what damage you can do. Um, certainly something to keep in mind. So Josh, um, you know, how, what were your thoughts on team Switzerland uh, facing Marco Rossi and Team Austria. Yeah, I caught a couple uh, glimpses of the game when those two countries squared off. And honestly, I was pretty impressed with how Team Switzerland conducted themselves on the ice. They played a really sound game. And and honestly, I found a lot of st- their structure in against you know Marco Rossi and company was actually pretty impressive. And two players I want to focus on because I watched a couple of the highlights is the first one is Valentin Hofer. He's a, he's, he's a right winger from the Swiss team. And I think... He's going to be playing in their top six, in their top six fold or, or somewhere around there or their middle six or, or whatever you want to call it. But I think he's a big name to watch out for. Um, you know, teams are obviously not influx with talent, as we mentioned earlier, but uh, he's definitely a guy that, that can definitely score some goals when needed. And I think Switzerland desperately needs that offensive consistency from their players. He can give it to them. Um, he's had a lot of experience in Swiss leagues um, this past year, 17 points in 15 games for in the U20 elite league in Switzerland. So those are actually pretty impressive numbers when, when considering his age and, and where he's at in his development. So while I'm not, you know, going to say that he's going to score the most goals in the tournament, he can definitely be a, a, um, a point of focus for, for Switzerland. And the other player I want to focus on is there as a defenseman, Bastian Guggenheim. I watched him play um, really average guy, but he plays a really solid game. You know, a comparable would be like Thomas Harley, like his, the same mentality, not the same talent level, obviously, but the same mentality where you're just a smooth skater, breaking up passing lanes, moving the puck up the ice where his breakouts were really clean. And I really like that from a defensive aspect of things. And as a smaller country in a smaller hockey market, you really need that, that reliability everywhere you look and you really need that consistency everywhere you look. So those two players in particular, I was really impressed by, you know, watching, uh, watching uh, a couple of periods of that game and, you know, teams also can surprise some people. So it's not, it's not so much that, that we're, you know, really just writing off teams because we're like, they only have one good player and that's really it. That is really the reality. They really only have one good player and that's really it. But, you know, to write them off is entirely is not a, not a wise idea right now. And um, you know, these players could definitely surprise some people, but projections are projections and, and that's what, that's where we stand really. And it's all we have to go off of. So a word that I'm going to pick up as we continue onwards here that you said was the word consistency. And consistency seems to be something that Russia is capable of. Yes, they lost to Team Canada, 1-0. Jamie Drysdale with the only goal. 
but they've got the consistency. They've got the um, the structure surrounding that team in order to make a push. And I spoke with uh, TSN's Craig Button, as have you, uh, prior to this tournament. And he, something he said to me was, you know, they've got enough within them that they might just be able to make to the final against Team Canada being his projection. And I happen to agree with that. I think, yes, the Team USA and Team Canada always put up a battle, but I think Team Russia's, you know, their roster, their depth is there to show that they've, they're able to push forward and they might just uh, make it to the end. So um, let's take a look at their roster. Uh, a, a face that you're looking at as a Maple Leafs prospect is Rodion Amirov uh, playing alongside uh, Yaroslav Askarov, uh, the, the brick wall of the goaltender. So, um, you know, what, what did you see in their strengths uh, as a team against Canada? Yeah. So like I said, in my, uh, in my explanation as to why Rodion Amirov was actually a really intelligent pick by Kyle Dubas. And I stand by that. I don't care how many Leaf fans disagree with me. I stand by the fact that Amirov was a great pick. He drafted the best player available and Amirov was certainly be the best player available. So that, that goes without saying, but his, his ceiling is incredibly high. You know, there's a reason he's playing on the top line for Russia. There's a reason he's going to be heavily relied upon for the Russians to carry the offensive load. And there's a reason why he's going to get the majority of the ice time only because he matches up really well with whoever he faces. So you know, going into why the Leafs drafted him, they drafted him because he's, you know, not a lead in one aspect, but he's really good in all aspects of the game. So skating, shooting, defensive awareness, and, uh, you know, playmaking abilities, he can do it all. And to have a guy like that, to have like a, a utility player like that on, on your top line, is, it's a good asset to have for the Russians. And I really expect him to do big things because, you know, the Russians do have the talent. They definitely have the talent. That's not even in question. They definitely have the talent to make it to the medal to, to the gold medal final. And, you know, Rodion Amirov is a big part of that because he's, he's now, you know, making some waves in the KHL, putting up some impressive numbers better than last year. And, um, you know, as he continues to ride that wave, that'll only spell more good things for team Russia. And, you know, that that's really what, what this is all about. This is really a good measuring stick for a lot of different players to see what they can do against different competition. And for Amirov, this is a big step forward for him, and he's already playing at an elite level. Another player I want to mention, mention briefly is the Devils prospect, Shakir Mukamadoulin, who's also wow. playing. I don't know how to pronounce his name. That's it. That's wow. insane. Yeah, he uh, he is also playing at an incredibly high level. And I he did jump off. Um, he did stand out for sure. Um for me in that in that Canada Russia game, especially that stretch pass to uh, Chinikov on on the breakaway, that was really impressive. So you know, Joe, I know you know plenty about this. He was definitely a shocker to go that high to the Devils, and and I'm probably you were probably surprised too. I I was really shocked as well. But you know, he's another guy that has really stepped up when when he's needed, and he's he's very he's impressed me all throughout the pre tourney for sure. And and you know, he's going to be a pillar on the back end for for Team Russia. There's no question about it. Well, Joe, your thoughts on Luke Madulin? Uh, well, first off, it's Shakir Muhammadulin. The KH in uh, Russian is an H. Do you so, speak like every language? Do you, do you speak like every language? Polish, Lithuanian. So gotcha. Uh, Russian this is the biggest of the Slavic languages, and it's practically like a few countries away, so easy to interpret. Yeah. But anyway, um, what I really liked about uh, the Devils scouts in Russia is that they check all the boxes in the VHL, which is the second tier. And then you have the MHL, which is the beginning tier of all the younger players. And what I noticed is that he can skate and he makes it smooth transition, you know, not just on the offensive side, but the defensive side. And when he plays his end of the ice, he can really contribute a lot. 
and he does have a long reach and he is pretty raw. I know Rachel Dory wasn't very high on him at all. And along with Will Scouch and I am actually against their thinking when it comes to Muhammad Dulin, but what he really brings is when he gets into the offensive zone with or without the puck, he is going to join in on the rush, not just playing along the blue line and secure the pinch play. I can see him using that rocket of a shot and scaring the living daylights out of anyone trying to block it. And this is the kind of thing that, you know, the Devils are always looking for that guy with the howitzer. They haven't had that guy since Paul Martin or Brian Rafalski. And they really need a guy who's going to create offense that way. And I believe with Team Russia, he's going to be a two-way player. And his stock's only going to rise as he gets older. And matter of fact, he's one of the alternative captains for Salavat Yulayev. And this bodes well for a kid who's 18 years old, playing in the most predominant hockey league, not even the NHL. And so what does this say about the kid's internal mindset, which speaks high volumes for me? Absolutely. Um, that's something to keep in mind. And again, we look at the we look at the structure of this roster, and it's certainly there. And he's you know he's a you know living case in point of that. Um, I'll also mention here that Rodin Amirov, This is not his first time taking on some of these faces, so this is not new to him. This is not a challenge. Uh, yeah, Yaroslav Askarov, not his first time taking on a hockey Canada team. So there's a lot of familiarity here. So it's just going to be more so of a you know is is what we have enough to get over the high arches of other teams. Uh, and for Mukamadulin, um, you know, it's going to be, um, I believe this is more of a first for him, but nonetheless, a really exciting, um, a really exciting, you know, go at this at the World Juniors. And I expect to see Russia uh, make it quite far myself. So um, there's my evaluation uh, top hand there. Um, again, I, would, I did look at the evaluations of Rachel Dory, someone I know well. And um, yeah, so, you know, Joe, uh, I know you disagree there. And um, you know, I, I'm going to be really curious to see, um, you know, what the result actually is, because something that's really funny, and this was mentioned on Twitter uh, within the last 48 hours, is during the World Juniors, five minutes after taking a look at one player, there are so many internet scouts who all of a sudden have these opinions, and, you know, <laughs> they're not actually, you know, journalists like you and me, or scouts, and they just say, all right, five minutes, okay, I know this player top to bottom, and, you know, this is what this is what I don't like, more so than the positives, because, you know, Twitter is such an uplifting place, as we know, so, um, you know, it's going to be really funny to, uh, I guess, see how this ends and see how many people are kind of get wronged in this end. And Joe, I'll let you continue here. Well, there are several more players we have to touch on. First off, you're not doing your job if you don't know Arseny Gritsyuk. The kid is, an, he's gotten bigger. He's gotten faster. He still is developing in the VHL because, you know, his KHL team isn't trying to rush him per se. So for me, as not just a Devils fan, but as a scout for TPA, this means that they are trying to, you know, let him adapt a year or so and not take too much time, you know, sitting in the KHL and cooking at the wrong levels. And I see that they're doing their job, letting him develop in that sense. And he plays with a lot of speed and he's very tenacious but I can see him, you know, turning to something very special that the Devils will eventually want to bring over on ELC. 
And then there's another guy you mentioned, Rodion Amirov, to me when I was looking at him in the draft. Um, what stood out to me was he's not only really good at the shootout, but he's got really good footwork. He's very agile. He's a, he's built like a tank. Reminds me of Marion Hosa in a way. And I can see him with that shot of his that he can really like drive a top six line. No problem whatsoever. Um, and then Yaroslav Askarov. When I saw him last year, one of the things that I saw was he comes out of his own net to play the puck. He's aggressive. When he is locked in, there is no stopping him. He knows how to slide post to post, seal everything off. I mean, he gets a few funny bounces, which happens to a lot of great goaltenders. And he had similar stats, kind of like another Russian in, Vas on, uh, in Vasilevsky. And I think he's on the same uh, development path. And I think Nashville is going to come out very victorious in this draft pick. I actually had him ranked seventh in my final ranking uh, before the draft. And I think, you know, anyone listen, um, don't doubt Russia in this game. I, I really think they could be either gold or silver medalists the way they're, they're, they're built. I project them at silver myself. So it's going to be interesting to see how that ends. I do expect them to land uh, silver, if not bronze though. Again, um, Daniel Chalka is also another guy that you got to look for. He, he's kind of built in the similar way of uh, Muhammad Dulin, but he's more of a, a offensive style defenseman, but you can mention this more, Josh. Yeah, I'm going to touch on the, uh, the the other Maple Leaf prospects that are joining Amirov because a lot of them, you know, are often overshadowed by the top prospect. And, you know, like Justin said, those those Twitter scouts on um, on social media rarely look past the household names like actual, you know, people who do this for a living. So with that being said, um, Mikhail Abramov is the other guy that I'm going to touch on real quick. He has been stellar. He has experienced a lot of growth in the queue with the Victoriaville Tigers over a point per game, well over a point per game in 2019-20, well over a point per game this year as well in, you know, smaller sample size, albeit. Uh, probably going to play on their third line. That's a really good asset to have at, well, if you're Russia or Toronto because, you know, that's a guy who, who you know, not a top prospect per se, but is, you know, shown that he can grow and he has been, you know, um, growing into, you know, a more offensive, uh, um, more offensive player for sure. Drafted in the fourth round, again, none of those, not too many high-end prospects are taken in the fourth round, but that's a really good pickup for Toronto. I feel like, you know, because he has seen such exponential growth over his career in the QMJHL, I really think that this experience at the, the World Juniors is really going to be beneficial. It's beneficial to a lot of players to increase their draft stock, but it's also beneficial to the players who are already signed to show that their team, that to show to their NHL team that they're actually ready to compete. And Joe, you touched on that when you were talking about the devil's prospects, how you wanted them, the devils to get them overseas as soon as possible. And I totally agree with you because, you know, with these players playing against other talent, other, you know, players, their age and talent groups, similar to them, that's a really good measuring stick. That's a really good test for them as a, as players to see what they can bring against competition similar to themselves. And that's a really good stepping stone towards the NHL. So Avramov is going to be another name to watch out for. I feel like he could really contribute offensively for Team Russia to assist the top six core. And the other least prospect is the goaltender, Artur Aktiamov, who got some ice time filling in for Askarov, which I don't really know why he was Askarov was pulled in the game against Canada, but he came in, let in the only goal to Jamie Drysdale, but again, was pretty solid. 
Um, you know, really nothing to complain. Another good mid-round pick for Toronto. If that's where you're going to look for your goalies, you should really look for your goalies. And unless they're elite like Askarov, you're not going to take your goalies in the first or second round. So that's another nice pickup for Toronto. Not entirely sure what, uh, you know, what his future holds in the organization. Way too early to tell. Uh, the Leafs have a lot of goaltenders now that they've signed. Um, you know, you have Joseph Wall, Ian Scott, Aaron Dell's there. Michael Hutchinson is back. And so there's four names right there. So no rush at all for Aktimov. But this, again, experience behind Askarov and a guy that plays at, at an elite talent level like him is going to be really beneficial for his growth and development. And, you know, he might not get in a game at this rate. You know, I'm, I'm going to – he there's a really strong possibility that he's just, that he's just going to ride the bench for the rest of the tournament. But that's totally okay because even the experience of just being there and being in the environment will, will pay major dividends moving forward. So those are the two least prospects to focus on. Joe, you touched on the Devils guys that I really like too. Um, and they played fantastic in the game against Canada. Uh, you could see their defenses were really mobile and, um, and yeah, their forwards were, were quick and, and there, there's a reason the game was really close and that I'll just leave it at that because there's a reason the game was close and, and, and they, those two teams match up really well against each other and all of them played physical and, and, and everything like that. So there's a reason it was only one, nothing. And, you know, there are really no sore spots that throughout the lineup. They're going to be a contender. They're going to make their case. And so my closing question with Russia, and I'm actually going to take it from right, right where you said, I don't know why Askarov was taken out of this game. Askarov didn't have a bad game by any means. You know, the, again, it was a close game. It was 0-0 for most of the game until he was replaced and Jamie Drysdale was able to get her, uh, around Akimov. So, um, you know, it, I guess my question will be, do you foresee Askarov having any issues or do you think this was more about Russia just kind of wanting to see what see what else they have in store while they could given it was a pre-tournament game yeah that's a great question gord miller actually touched on this in the live broadcast and he said askarov was actually playing at an elevated level compared to last year and i will say i will shy away a little bit and focus on last year's tournament because if you if i remember correctly he was a little he was really good so there's no denying that he was a great great asset to have between the pipes and again unanimous starter for russia but there were points where i was wondering you know he looks a little nervous, almost not really nervous, but he was definitely shake a lot shakier than he should have been. And, you know, that that's, you know, big talk coming from someone like me, but to an elite goaltender like that, but there were times where he didn't look the most comfortable in net. And, you know, that happens to a lot of people, but on the world's biggest junior hockey stage that really can hinder your performance. Now, Gord Miller said in the live broadcast, something along the lines of he looks a lot more comfortable, a lot more like himself now um, this time around. And he, he was right because, he played his normal aggressive self. He was calm, cool, and collected when needed. And he didn't panic when there was a loose puck in the crease and when Canada swarmed the net on the power play or, or, or whatever you want to call it. But, you know, that's a really big um, point of focus for Team Rush's will Askarov live up to the hype because he definitely lived up to the hype last year, maybe struggled a little bit in that gold medal game and, and a couple games before that. But as for if he will actually have issues moving forward, I don't think so, only because he's had a kick at the can before. He's, he knows what this is like. He knows the type of level he's going, uh, the type of talent he's going up against. He's a fierce competitor, and I really don't think that's going to let him, that he's going to let it affect his mindset. With that being said, however, with Actimov right behind him, I feel like that's a really strong backup uh, candidate for Team Russia. So if there are any problems, I don't think the Russians will run into like we'll be scrambling and looking for a goaltender. So Askarov will get a pretty long leash, I feel, and and well into the medal round. And he'll I'm I'm I have confidence this time around that he'll he'll bring his best once again. 
Joe, we know the importance of experience. And like Josh said, uh, this isn't his first kick at the can. So that's why those jitters uh, perhaps were subsided and allowed him to uh, have a good game last night. Again, he was able to uh, keep Canada shut out until he was pulled, which allowed for Canada to go ahead and win it. But um, your thoughts on Askarov? Because again, he, it's not, he wasn't pulled because he had a bad game. Uh, he looked really good. Do you, do you expect to see, uh, um, I guess, Askarov uh, take you know take Russia through the entire thing and have Akimov sit on the bench for most of the tournament. Well, let me put it this way: Valerie Brogan isn't afraid to change goaltenders at any moment. But uh, like Josh said, I wouldn't be surprised if he did have a longer leash this time around because he's the more veteran goaltender around. Because Amir Miftahov uh, got drafted and he's 20 years old now, so that guy is all said and done. And with Askarov, you know, he's going to be more settled in. He's going to have guys on defense like uh, Chayka and, Muha- and Muhammad Dulin up in front of him on the first two to three pairings. So what that really does is when you have Podkolzin up front and you have um, Arseny Gritsuk, and just to name a few of the, the forwards, he's going to have a lot of guys that will keep the puck up in the opposing zone and they're going to create more chances to uh, give him a lead. And, you know, of course, whether it's a one-goal lead or a five-goal lead, there's almost going to be hardly a slim to chance of him letting up a, a goal like that. I mean, he did have some happy feet last year they were talking about, but I really think the way he's going to settle those feet down, he's not going to be overly excited. He's just going to be, like, laser-focused. I know people like to mention Carey Price more. I think I'm more of as a higher upgraded version of uh, Andre Vasilevsky. I think that's more than fair to say. So that being said, I think we've touched a lot on Russia for the last little bit. So um, let's let's move away from Russia. But thank you both for your um, amazing insight this evening. Josh, I think we're going to start to close uh, going back to Team Canada because while we touched on some uh, new faces such as uh, Devin Levi and what he was able to provide uh, with a 23-save shutout, what we didn't touch on was some other new faces to the team this year who didn't make the tournament but were at selection camp last year uh, in Oakville when things were you know all but normal before COVID-19. Uh, struck the world so that being said Cole Perfetti is a new face to Team Canada this year actually making the roster Thomas Harley as well both two were sent home to their respective OHL teams and you talked a lot about Thomas Harley but your thoughts on Cole Perfetti as someone who um, as described by Murat Eights actually uh, who wrote this in The Athletic today that he used a lot of his disappointment and anger from perhaps uh, his designation back home rather than taking to the tournament as something to uh, drive him as an additional force to make sure he got it this time around so um you know we know of his uh, elite abilities as has been seen offensively with the Sagana spirit so how do you think that he fits in with this roster well Cole Perfetti is a perfect match for this entire roster it's offense 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 and that's really all it is and that's that's his bread and butter um one thing I will note just covering the Jets for the hockey writers he didn't really jump uh, out at me when I was watching the two intra squad scrimmages uh, from selection camp, he wasn't really noticeable. I really thought he was kind of invisible out there, not really making an impact um, or as big of an impact as I once, uh, as I thought he was going to make. With that being said, I did expect him to make the um, the final roster. I'm really happy for the kid. He uh, he has worked incredibly hard. He went home last year, as you mentioned, took the disappointment, went off and torched the OHL 
for a boatload of, of points with the spirit. And, you know, it's, it's really impressive to see players bounce back like that and, and come back stronger than ever the next year. Cause that speaks volumes to what their mindset and mentality is really like for how he fits into the lineup. I really am pleasantly surprised that Andre Tourney is putting him on the second line. I don't think he fits there necessarily only because now with Doc's injury, I think there's going to be a lot of shuffling going on and he could shift further down the wing. I I know they want to play Connor McMichael at center. I don't know why they put him at third line center, but that's that's just up to, that's just from my standpoint. I really would like to see Connor McMichael on a high octane line in the top six somewhere because he is definitely deserving of that spot. Now for Perfetti, he really hasn't proven you know, his elite goal scoring ability. So the fact that he's playing above McMichael, even though they're in different positions, doesn't really make much sense to me only because McMichael can easily shift to the wing and someone like Dawson Mercer can easily shift to center. What, what will like, what is a main point of focus for him throughout the tournament is whether he will kick it up a notch offensively. Everyone around him has seemingly had success, you know, distributing the puck, finding the back of the net. Perfetti has been one of those guys that, you know, has really been humbled. And I think that's a really good appropriate term to, to, to describe his game nowadays is now coming down from the OHL. He's really been humbled with other guys who are almost or arguably better than him on the team and on, on and um, on the ice against him. So to see what he can do now, bringing it at a consistent pace and against competition, that is a lot stiffer because let's be real. The OHL is nothing compared to the talent that we're seeing right now at the world junior level. And to see what he can bring on a consistent basis in Canada's top six, if that's where, if that's where he finds himself is going to be really interesting. And I, I think he's going to be given every opportunity he can to succeed, but I would like to see how his dynamic scoring ability, because let's, that's what the jets drafted him for. And that's what he relies heavily on for success on and off the ice. Should he be able to find that consistent offensive pace? I really think Canada has a great asset there. They already have, they already know of his potential. They already know of his skill set, And that's, and that's why they, they, well, that's mainly why they took him because they need goal scoring and they need a consistent source of scoring from the wing. And if Perfetti can find his game and find his, his, his touch against the, you know, the weaker opponents to start the, the tournament and closing it out against Finland before the medal round, that would be really impressive for me. And that'll be a really impressive thing for the Jets to see as well, because I'm sure they'll be watching both him and Billy Heinola very closely throughout the tournament. I will agree with you that uh, he was, you know, to say the least invisible during uh, the, the selection camp process in Red Deer. So um, like you, I'd like to see him step up as well and, um, you know, work with Andre Torini, who kind of favors him actually as uh, one of the better players on the roster. And, you know, in the OHL, it's because he simply, he was, he is a player mm -hmm. that is uh, very strong offensively uh, in terms of what he's capable of. So Joe, I'll give the last question to you and we're going to focus more so on Dawson Mercer again. Uh, you look at some of these uh, top names on Canada's roster and you look at, uh, you know, what Dawson Mercer does. And he was someone as well who was um, more on the quiet end during the selection camp process, which I uh, followed more closely in heading into this tournament. So with that, and, you know, you keep in mind Cole Perfetti, Quinton Byfield, who might even be moved up now as a result of the loss of Kirby Doc due to a wrist injury, which again is a fracture, um, just to name a few. You know, how do you see Dawson Mercer uh, fitting in with any changes that uh, may come last minute before Canada takes on Germany uh, Saturday at 6 p.m.? Well, let me put it this way. Dawson Mercer brings a big body, physical presence. His shot is pretty high end, and his hands are pretty if not one of the silkiest that I think Canada has. And if you put him on a line with Quinton Byfield, who's built like a tank, and if uh, Byfield can not only be a playmaker, but use his 
big body and his frame and his skateability um, and his intelligence, I think you'd have the next dream team of uh, deadly duos on Team Canada. And I really think they would be wreaking a lot of havoc, especially when it comes to a team like uh, Russia, where there's a lot of big physical players and, you know, driving the net against uh, Askarov, you know, would give a lot of hell for the Russian defense. And I really think that, you know, winning those board battles is very important. And if you're not winning those uh, possession battles, you're reducing your chances of winning the game and your odds of losing increase. But when you use the right physical game and your feet keep moving in the right direction, you play the puck the right way, you're going to execute more often than not. All right. So with that, we're actually going to close with one more question. I was only kidding when I said this is the last question. Uh, Josh, I'm going to go back to you for this last one. Um, you know, you look at the forward depth of Team Canada. I mean, they're just, there's so much talent all around that it's hard to say that they're stronger one place than the other. But the, I think the overarching question is, is Kenda hurt by not having Alexis Lafreniere released from the New York Rangers, especially now given that Doc is out? Um, again, because again, the talent is just, it's, I would go so far to say that that's not the case, but I want to hear it from someone else who has followed, uh, the, you know, this team very closely from the start of selection camp into where they are now. Yeah. Um, any team that doesn't have Alexis Lafreniere is going to be hurting by it, but this team in particular, whether that will go on to impact how they play and how, you know, the results that they turn out. Absolutely not. I'm not going to like, I saw on Twitter, everyone was panicking when Alexis Lafreniere was not going to be alone. Everyone was asking the Rangers why everyone was asking, you know, how, how's Canada going to shape up now? Canada is going to be just fine. And I can explain why it's, it's very simple. It's a very simple concept. Their forward depth is the best in this tournament and it's not close. So I know people enjoy starting debates about, you know, how, how the Americans shape up. And I just explained why the Americans, you know, as good as their forward depth is, is not as good as Canada's. And I'm not really afraid to say that. Um, and I will back that up with a lot of stuff, but in short, Canada's depth right now as it stands, their high-end talent is through the roof. So even without Kirby Doc, I'm still very confident because, you know, something that really surprised me ahead of the of Wednesday's game against Russia was that Philip Tomasino, who's over a point per game pace in the OHL, was a healthy scratch. And when you are healthy, when when a healthy scratch is a, over a point per game pace, over 100 points in the OHL, that is shocking. So he's going to draw into the lineup, and everything is going to is literally everything is going to be looking pretty much exactly the same. Obviously, Kirby Doc and Alexis Lafreniere are argued by some to be on, a, on an elevated level. But when it comes to the actual talent level that Canada possesses in the forward depth in their group, it, it's unmatched. So really, it's, 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 more, it's not so about, you know, are they really losing out on Alexis Lafreniere? It's more so what will their team do now? And right now, this team is full of players ready to rise to the occasion. Cole Perfetti is looking to prove himself again. Dawson Mercer is looking to embrace that role of a utility man for Canada. I really think he's going to excel in that role. Quinton Byfield is looking to play up to his standard. So, you know, above the, you know, the, uh, the stereotype of a fourth line center. So there's a lot of names on this list and that's not even scratching the surface. So there's a lot of names on this team and a lot of players that are really looking to prove themselves when the tournament kicks off on Saturday. And it's because of that mentality. It's because of that attitude heading into the tournament that this, this Canadian team is, is poised for success at this point, because, you know, you can mope all you really want about doc being injured as unfortunate as that is, you can be disappointed that the Rangers didn't let go of Alexis Lafreniere. I mean, why would they considering the NHL season was, um, undecided at that point so why let go of your top prospect so 
you know, from looking at it from that standpoint, yeah, there is disappointment there, but you have to consider that Canada has one of the, this is arguably one of the most talented Canadian rosters we have seen in recent memory. And that is a really important factor to keep in mind when you're considering the big picture of things. So heading into the tournament, I think they're just fine. And although Alexis Lafreniere and Kirby Doc will be greatly missed for sure, this Team Canada in particular has what it takes to win a gold medal. And I think with that, they're going to drive it home. And again, you look at uh, Philip Tomasino, who you mentioned, uh, Andre Trini said on more than one occasion during selection camp in Red Deer, him, Connor Zari, and Kirby Dog played really well together. And then Bowen Byram right on the back end behind them. It all just clicked. So yes, Kirby Dog is a hit. Yes, Alexis Lafreniere is a hit. But no, I don't think they're widely affected by this. I think the talent is enough to uh, drive them over the arch and you know get them to the gold medal game. And if not, Plenty. Uh, Plenty. the gold medal, the silver medal, because again, yeah. it's just the depth is there beyond what, perhaps we could ever have imagined again when you mentioned in recent memory this is definitely one of the strongest teams out there yeah and and when you're cutting a guy like Jamison Reese who had a great showing at selection camp I really like the way the the tenacity and the the uh, level the style of play that he played with throughout the selection camp in Red Deer when you're cutting a guy like that who's already you know trying to prove himself against the household names you know you already got a great team assembled like you you can't really debate that and you can debate all you can really just question all you want whether certain players losses will make an impact at the end of the day but regardless the overarching point as you mentioned is that Canada's depth is outstanding and they will be unfazed by this and I'm confident in that and last minute notes Mason Millman uh, was sent home uh, with his head held high and he signed himself an entry-level contract with the Philadelphia Flyers so uh, while there are you know negatives and yes it sucks to be sent home and you know for whatever reason whether you're unfit to play uh, physically or you know COVID contributed to that which again uh, with some players we know others we don't um, you know this is this is what it is but again Canada's roster is uh, beyond talented uh, again we've gone through the U.S. who's got some strong uh, star power so um I think this is going to be a really exciting tournament and, you know, all eyes are going to be on Kenda uh, to follow up Akil's uh, gold medal game performance and pull it off. But again, this is anyone's game and, um, you know, we're just, we're just along for the ride uh, doing our parts to, um, you know, provide that coverage as, as we so do for the pocket authority, the hockey writers and anywhere else. Um, Well, I guess with that anywhere else being Twitter, where again, the internet refs are out for blood. So that does it for this episode of the Pocket Authority podcast. Thank you both so much for joining me today. Uh, I'll get your social handles as we start to wrap. So Josh, where can your work be found? Yeah, you can check out my work under my name, Josh Kim at the Hockey Raiders on Twitter, Josh Kim underscore, and on my website, joshkimphoto.com. That has everything from my podcast to my work in photography to my featured articles. You can find everything there. Um, Yeah, tweet at me because I will gladly start start any discussion that you guys want, really, because I'm just as excited about about this tournament as everyone else. And I will also boost Josh's new podcast, who he's now had a few guests on, again, including TSN's Craig Button. Josh, uh, before we go, is there anyone you can hint for your next guest? uh, Yeah, thank you, Justin, for this opportunity. It's called Get Your Head in the Game. It focuses on mental health and sport, and that's why I've become such as involved as I have with that topic surrounding the sporting world. So, you know, Craig Button was episode three. Perry DeRisso, a former D1 hockey player, was episode four. And next episode, I'm just going to tell you guys straight up because it's releasing on Tuesday. But I have Marissa Roberto, the host of TSN's Digital Sports Center and, you know, the uh, whole esports atmosphere coming on for episode five. So after that, I'm on the hunt for new guests, but it's gone off to a great start. I appreciate the support. And uh, yeah, it's, it's go check it out on all, on all major platforms. Joe, where can your work be found? Well, you can find me at J-E-R-S-E-Y, D-E-V-I-L-O-G on Twitter. You'll find my 
Heads Up Hockey Podcast very soon here on the Puck Authority Hockey Podcast Network. Um, I have it on Anchor, but it's also on many other platforms, um, kind of like Spotify, just to name a few, uh, YouTube. Um, other, other than that, I'm actually looking forward to this season, and I look forward to getting uh, new guests on and you know digging deep into what other people think about what this season means to them and um, trying to get some, you know, different writers on. I had Molly Walker last summer and uh, I'm actually going to have her uh, sometime this season. I'm going to have to talk to her again because she covers the Islanders and the Rangers. And I'm going to try and see if there's any other um, people I could reach out to and uh, hopefully go from there. Someone I'll give you a suggestion for uh, before we officially close is Gershon Urbinowitz, another Devils writer, someone to, uh, you know, kind of uh, just kind of shoot the ideas with uh, someone who is an excellent uh, writer when it comes to the Devils, much like yourself. Um, so, you know, again, look out for the Heads the heads Up hockey, hockey Podcast, which will be, again, right here on the Puck 30 Podcast Network, hoping for an early January launch. Uh, we'll keep you guys uh, up to date with that. Um, but, you know, as all things go, uh, you know, it is the holiday season, so I am going to let you guys go. A very Merry Christmas and a happy and safe holiday season to both of you. Thank you, Justin. Enjoy the tournament. Thank you, Justin. Enjoy the tournament and uh, and let's have a happy holiday season and uh, happy hockeyness. Couldn't agree more. I will have you both on either uh, during the World Juniors or if not right after. Again, it is 12 days of joymas, as Joseph uh, just said. So let's get the most out of it and let's get hockey started. So uh, that does it again for episode 34 of the Pocket Authority podcast. My name is Justin Levine. You can find me on Twitter at Justin Levine HBS and at on Twitter at Puck Authority One, the home of the PuckAuthority.com. So that's Josh. That's Joseph. My name is Justin. Be safe, social distance, wash your hands out. <laughs>